1: Welcome back to the National Football Show. Your boy, Dan Silio, Hour number two here. We're efforting our friend, Jack Youngblood, one of the great defensive linemen in the history of the National Football League. We are just a few weeks away from the Hall of Fame game, and I think it's going to be an outstanding ceremony with the two combined classes that didn't get a chance to speak Uh, a year ago because of the pandemic. So you're going to have the 20 and 21 class together, and they're going to be sitting there. It's going to be a long day. Maybe they're going to limit the time that these guys will have on giving their speeches, but those speeches are always spectacular to listen to, and, you know, the journeys that all these guys go on. I I, I just love the stories that all these players have gone on. You just heard Morton Anderson talking about being a foreign exchange student that came to America. He was a soccer player. He didn't know that he was going to have an opportunity to ever reach the goals that he ever would reach and ever thought about reaching. He thought he was just going to be a soccer guy. and He turns out to be the all-time leading scorer and played in most games in the history of the National Football League. Think about that for a minute. And he owns one of those records still, the most games ever played. You imagine that? And you end up putting on one of those gold jackets which to me, it just is what every single football player strives for, to win a Super Bowl championship and to be recognized as one of the greatest players in the history of the sport. So we're so looking forward to the Hall of Fame festivities this year and seeing how David Baker and his group are going to just lay those things out. So we hope we're going to be able to catch up with our friend Jack Youngblood, who's in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. I, I, I saw a story. And it, it, it's kind of funny when you see players that are trying to do a catch-up job on their careers. So today Ben Rothesberger was talking about his preparation for the upcoming 2021 season. And he said, Hey, I'm, you know, on a diet. You know, I've lost some weight. I'm getting my stuff ready for the upcoming season. He's 37. This is the first time that Ben Roethlisberger has done self-maintenance, really, on preparing himself for an upcoming season. You know, every single football player, you know, we were talking to Morton in the last hour. Every football guy does this. You have regrets. I mean, look at Carmelo Anthony, for instance. Carmelo Anthony is a guy who didn't take care of his body. He came out in the same draft as LeBron James. One player in LeBron that took care of his body, spent a million dollars a year in the preparation. Tom Brady as well. Getting themselves ready for each and every single upcoming season. They spent money on their most important asset. You know what that was? Preparing their bodies and their minds for an upcoming season, which meant that those guys kept their heads down the entire time. And they were doing everything in their power to make sure the most important thing, actually two, availability and longevity. And that's why you look at LeBron. LeBron James and Tom Brady are two of the greatest longevity athletes we've ever seen. Now, I know LeBron's been banged up two of the last three years, but we, we not agree. LeBron's been a superstar since he was 17. And he's been in the NBA all these years now, what is it, 18 seasons now? He's been in the NBA, and he's put these phenomenal numbers up every year. Every year, he's a 26 to 28-point guy. He's going to get you around seven to eight boards, six assists. That's who he's been his entire career. And as you know, I'm not much of a LeBron guy, but when you see those numbers being put up over 18 years, do we not agree that? You're talking longevity and availability. LeBron James has been that guy. And Brady just knocks the cover off all that conversation. I mean, he's always prepared. And so when you see a guy like Ben Roethlisberger, and you, you, you see Ben at 37 now going, yeah, you know, I've lost some weight here, you know, and I'm really getting myself ready for the upcoming 2021 season. You're like this, dude. Hey, day late and the dollar's short, man. You needed to do this when you came out of college. You needed to keep preparing yourself so that when the gas can may be not as filled with fuel and you're at the back nine of your career, you give yourself an opportunity to succeed. And Ben's doing it. Well, we'll see what happens in 2021. All right. One of my absolutely favorite people that has ever played in the National Football League is our friend Jack Youngblood. And Jack joins us right now here on the National Football Show. Jack, how you doing, brother?
2: Better than I deserve, Dan. (laughs) That's for sure. (laughs)
1: Jack, I got some news for you. What's that? It's about your career. Uh Uh-oh. No, I think you're going to dig this.
2: You you can't. There's some things you shouldn't talk about.
1: (laughs) (laughs) This one, we're going to. Watch this. So the NFL came out today with all the unofficial sack numbers. Of all the players pre 1982, and they put their sacks on a list, and they've got an unofficial list, and they're trying to verify it. And they verified you right now as the sixth all time leading sack guy in the history of the league at 151 and a half sacks. That puts you sixth. The third guy is Deacon Jones at 173 and a half. So, Jack, you're the sixth all-time leading sacker in NFL history. Did you know this?
2: Well, I, I did know it because I kept counting. <laughs> I counted them, too. And, and the, the funny part about this, you know, they they, they they didn't count them before 82, but we got paid for them. They, they, they were a bonus. They were a, a hundred. I think back in those days it was a hundred dollar bonus or something. I, <laughs> but – but yeah, and when they when they when they came out with that and they said they're not they're not accountable, we all shook our head and went, eh, "Something's wrong with this this whole system."
1: You know, and Jack, I I I was always under the always under the guise of saying, "Why why wouldn't you count all records? Why is why are you only counting?" Like the offensive guys, like the wide receivers and the quarterbacks, you counted all their numbers pre nineteen eighty two, but you didn't count the defensive guys' sacks. I mean, the sack is the most important thing for a defensive lineman right now. And you played on one of the greatest lines, jack years removed from that. And you're a fearsome, foursome guy. That must just be ma- marvelous for you to be part of such an elite group. When you have Merlin and Deacon and all those great players, just just reflect if you can a little bit by being part of that group.
2: Dan, that was uh, one of the greatest blessings that, uh, that our, that our good Lord gave me drafting me into that element. And I had no idea who the Los Angeles Rams were. And, you know, because we didn't have, you know, three, three ball games on the TV at that point in time. (laughs) But yeah, he put me into the Los Angeles Rams. Now, who who could teach you how to rush the passer and stop the run on the way to the passer? Then, Deacon Jones and Merlin Olson. Um, and I was fortunate enough where Deke got hurt that first year. Uh, I started I started seven or eight ball games for him, and uh, and then they traded him the the next year. And so my wingman was you know my. My hero was was Merlin Olsen, and I mean he taught me how to play the game, what it meant to play the game, what it took to play the game, and uh, I was I was very very fortunate to have have those two those two entities when I was a when I was a rookie.
1: And and I would even say this to you, Jack. I mean your football teams that you had, your O line and your D line, were the stars of those Rams teams. I mean. Would you not agree? I mean, if you played O-line like Dennis Harrow or any of them dudes, like Jackie Slater and them guys, it was always the defense and offensive lines that were really the dominant stars that played on those Rams teams that you played on.
2: Well, that was the fundamental of, of, of the NFL at that point in time. I mean, the, the, the offensive line and defensive line were we kind of set the set the tone of how, how the ball game's going to go. If, if you can't stop them, and, 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 you, and you can't run on them, something for all. You're going to have, you're going to have a hard time winning the ball game.
1: You, you're a Florida boy, and you go out to Los Angeles. How much of a culture shock was that for you when you go from being an All-American Gator to going to Los Angeles and not only going to L.A., but you're in the Coliseum, playing there like these national football games on national television? I mean, Jack, that must have just been like uh, going from the moon to the sun. Going from college to pros?
2: No, absolutely. It was it was further than that. It was <laughs> it, it truly was was it was country come to town. You know, I was I was born and raised in a little town. We we had 15, 1,500 people in town. Uh, you know, I had a football team that that didn't have but eighteen players on it, <laughs> and, and and then you know got a, got the opportunity to go to Gainesville, and we never had we never played beyond the, the Mississippi River. So I didn't know have any in the, the, first time I flew out, I can remember, I'll tell you this story real quick. (laughs) We were flying out and we were coming into the, into the landing zone. And, and for some reason I thought about, I said, you know, I wonder, I wonder what number I'm, what's my Jersey number going to (laughs) be? And and I'm, I'm thinking and thinking about it it and it went away. The next day I walk into the, the locker room and the first thing that I saw was and my number at, at University of Florida was 74. And I walked in, the first thing I saw was on, on the on the uh, on the lockers was number 74 hanging there, Olson. I went, well, I don't think I'm gonna get that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's out. <laughs> uh, oh.
3: Yeah,
2: it was a uh, it was very interesting uh, for a young man. I was I wasn't was twenty one years old, and uh, you know hadn't been very far, and, but had had a tremendous ter- tremendous four years at the University of Florida.
1: What was the signature moment you think when you were a ram i mean going to the super bowl jack was that the ultimate achievement for you guys making it i don't believe anybody really thought you guys were going to make it to that game against that Steeler team you were injured in the game and if anybody doesn't know the story you played with a broken leg in that football game um was that the crowning achievement or was there another moment that always sticks out for you
2: one of the one of the main moments you go, I I go back to the rookie year. I didn't know I was going to make that football team
1: uh-huh.
2: because I had I had Deacon and Merlin in front of me. I mean, where am I going to fit into this, <laughs> into this thing here? Uh, that was a moment that I I think about all the time, um, and, and and then finally after so many years of being right there on the uh, on the edge of. Getting over the, the the championship game and going to the Super Bowl, that was a, that was a huge huge uh, event of my of my, of my season or of my my my, uh, my career. We those we were so close so many times and, and and we're a better football team most of those times. I mean, there was you know five or six years there with with, with Ray and and Chuck, and and then and then, uh, well, we didn't go so many so far with with <laughs> with a couple of the other ones <laughs> it weren't quite that <laughs> that well. But but uh, those were those were the you know phenomenal years for me.
1: I would say this to you, Jack. I mean, there's certain pe- purple people leaders, Doomsday. And you know all those great names, the New York Sack Exchange and stuff, Fearsome, Foresome. I mean, I, that that's got to be something, and that has to mean something to you too, because it, it it put a spotlight on all you guys, each and every single Sunday. You know, I mean, it, you just weren't like a normal group rolling out there. You were the stars of the team, added pressure, and I just wonder how you reflect back again. And I know you broached it a little bit, bud. You're always going to be identified with being part of that group,
2: right? And um, that in itself, from my perspective, my personal perspective, I that's worth it. But all we all we went through to be a part of that, and you know, we when when you when people depend on you to be the star of uh, your group to be the star of, of the ball game and it's on your back do we win or lose. That is, that's that's a that's, that's a huge time in 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 in, in, in your game that it's responsibility is on you to win this ballgame.
1: Jack take me through the process because now you see how the NFL Pro Football Hall of Fame does it. They give the knock on the door or you get a phone call if you didn't make it. We just had Morton Anderson on, and he was going through his his uh, trials and tribulations as he waited the process out. What was the process like for you when you were going through and whether or not you were going to be a Hall of Famer? Did it take long for you to get in? I don't really know what your process was. And how did they do it when they were putting guys like yourself from that era into the Hall of Fame? What was the process?
2: Uh, the process was basically the same. You know, they they the the day before the weekend before uh, the the the, uh, the first ball game, uh, they would they, they would have the, the meeting and have the have the vote. Um, and I can't remember the the uh, the PR guy's name. Though we, we and it was we were staying in the, in a hotel across the street from, from the Coliseum in Tampa. And, and, and he came to me and said, all right, you're, you're on the, you're on the 13th floor or 14th floor, or whatever. And he said, uh, he said, you know, you, you may, you may have the opportunity this, you know, and this was eight years into it. I'd been, I'd been through this process too many times and I turned and, and, and looked at him and I said, if I don't win if you don't get me in I'm jumping
1: <laughs> <laughs> fabulous jack what 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 were you feeling when it did come and the knock did come and they told you that you were a pro football hall of famer just take me back and reflect back a little bit on what that moment meant for you
2: well it's 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 a tremendous a tremendous feeling that you've been you've been num you've you've been nominated and you're elected into the hall of fame i mean it brings back a rush of of the memories of playing the game and the guys who were part of your team and were your teammates and were your sixes and you 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 had the relationships there that was a big part for me I, I, you know, I, I go back to Merlin and and, and Deacon, you know, they <laughs> Tommy Prothro had us at lunch one day in my in my in our second year, and <laughs> Prothro, Prothro,
1: he's smoking tapped, on them cigarettes. He said be- smoking <laughs> that ball Mall, <laughs> and, and,
2: and he was tea tapped on his glass, <laughs> and and and. We all quieted down, and he 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 didn't say anything about what we're supposed to be doing, you know, that that evening, and, and like he normally did, tell us where we're going and what we're doing, what we're looking at, and what we're to be expect. And he just starts out with, "Young blood," with that South Carolina accent. Young blood, Tom Landry hates you. <laughs> Now, 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 I'm sitting. I'm sitting, but between uh, Merlin and Jack Snow, and, and both of those guys, great, great individuals, great players, of course, with, with, with Merlin, and and both of them said, "Don't worry about it, kid." He doesn't know what the hell he's talking about.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, Jack! Two questions for you here. This kid, Aaron Donald, watching him with the Rams. Give me your thoughts on him and what you see with him each and every single Sunday when he gets on that puts on that Rams uniform.
2: He can, he can play on my team anytime he wants to. <laughs> he, he can be he can play any place he wants to play on my team. He reminds me of Larry Brooks Larry Larry had the same the, the same size same same strength same quickness and and they were very intelligent about how they played you know they had to play over over three different people most of the time and usually there was two guys trying to block and he couldn't do that do it with two so um, yeah I he can play on my team
1: now wait a minute here. Where's he playing on that fearsome foursome front four? I mean, whose position is he taking? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, Jack. You said he can play on your team. What, what, whose who's spot is he taking on that front four? He's good. Well, he's going
2: to come in after Merlin retired. <laughs>
1: Am I right? Roger Brown was on that. Wasn't he on that defense, too, at one time?
2: No. Well, he was. Yes, he was. You earlier in the 60s. Early. Okay. Early 60s.
1: Yeah. Okay. Okay. Because so I'm trying to figure, well, where the hell is Aaron playing? I mean, yeah. I don't know where he's playing on that front four there, man. I mean, there's a couple defensive player of the years, and I have to say Merlin Olsen is probably the greatest defensive tackle in the history of the National Football League. So I'm going to put that distinction in there. And you would also say this, the only thing that Deacon left the game with was a broken heart because that dude could get around the corner, run that hula hoop, and there you are with 151 sacks. I don't know, Jack. Hey, Jack, finally here. You've got to really be um, excited when you see that the fact that the Rams are back in Los Angeles and they're really where they need to be. Um, No disrespect to St. Louis and not throwing any shade there. They did win a championship there, but it has to be great to see them back in Los Angeles and Southern California.
2: It really is. And uh, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how how the 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 public handles that that new stadium. Do they will they like it or not? I mean, there had been, you know, much much going on there for the last you know year and a half with all this crap going on. Uh, <clears throat> but yeah, I'm, I'm glad they're there. Well, you know, it, I got mad at them when they moved, of course. And, and 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 we and then they started having a relationship with the with the retired players and that that relationship carried on when they moved back and it got better actually uh, they had a kyle eversgard was 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 in charge of that did a tremendous job of keeping keeping the the retired players together um and they you know when they moved back You had to, you had to get, you know. Okay, that's fine, that's fine and dandy. Um, We're just glad you're back, you know, back where you
1: belong. Hey, I got to show you something. So, as you know, my uncle's Robustelli. You know, he was a Ram, and he did start his career as a Ram, and he won. He was on one of them championship Ram teams.
2: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. We had we had big shoes to fill.
1: Absolutely. Hey, Jack, it's always great catching up with you. Thank you yeah. so much for doing this, man. Thank you again. I appreciate it. You're always – your friendship means a lot to me. Thank you, Jack.
2: Thank you, buddy. Appreciate it. Thanks, yeah. Dan.
1: Hall of Famer Jack Youngblood, one of the truly greatest players. Yeah, I look today I got an email from the National Football League archives, and they're now starting to put the process together where – They're putting all the sacks pre-1982. In case you don't know, they did not count for whatever reason. The NFL players' sacks pre-1982, it wasn't really an official stat. So they started tracking it in 1982. But now what the league has done, they've gone back into all the archives and all the press releases and all the box scores. And somebody has systematically counted all these sacks and Jack is sixth all time on the list in NFL history with 151 and a half quarterback sacks. And Deacon Jones is third with 173 and a half. You talk about a defensive line! You you you've got over 300 sacks just between two guys, not counting Merlin Olsen, too. We'll take a brief timeout. You keep it right here on the National Football Show.
3: I get scared sometimes. Of a lot of things. Joining in
4: Learn more at IBEW98.org. On the field of life
3: it's the door to a world most people only dream of. There's strong, and then there's Army strong. Try it on at GoArmy.com. Welcome
1: back to the National Football Show, Dance Soya. Let me see you here. Seven days to Cowboys show up to training camp. Are you done? All right, All good, man. Cannot wait. Great catching up with one of the greatest players of all time. Two-time defensive player of the year, eight-time Pro Bowler, Jackie Youngblood. college football hall of famer, and NFL Hall of Famer. So this the process was pretty much the same, and it's been the same, you know, where you get to knock on a door, you get the phone call. So they pretty much have kept to that practice with all the players that go into that place. So nothing's really changed. We'll see how this whole ceremony is going to play out the week of the Hall of Fame. I can't wait. It's going to be Steelers and Cowboys, by the way, uh for the Hall of Fame game. They're at, I think it's Benson Stadium. I think that's what it's called. So it's gonna be great. All right. You guys know who Greg Popovich is head coach of the Spurs. Team USA has lost for the first time back-to-back international games since they assembled the dream team back in the Barcelona games. Remember back in those days, and if you don't, they were beating teams like by 70 points. I mean, they were destroying teams. I mean, America was here and the rest of the world was over here. Okay? You could actually say If you think of it in a soccer term, because soccer is the biggest sport in the world, America is here today, and the rest of the world is over here still. In basketball, that dimension is closed. As I mentioned when we opened up the show, take a look at what you have. The reigning MVP is a European player. Best defender in the game is a European player. The best young player in the game is a European player. The influence of the European athlete in basketball You see it. So America and Team USA has lost to Nigeria and Australia in back-to-back games. Again, like I said, never happened. So what does Greg Popovich, the coach, do? He turns into Donald Trump. You know, here's a guy that blasts Donald Trump every single chance he gets, that he is a bully. He's a guy who talks down to people. He's a guy that doesn't have respect for people. This is what he said about the former president. It's funny. Every time I watch a Greg Popovich press conference, I see him do the same stuff. And, you know, we just got through talking a little bit about Stephen A. Smith making comments. And if you're a, if you're a liberal, you get really, hall passes, I'm almost saying anything you want, as long as you hate Trump. You see, this is what's giving Greg Popovich a hall pass. He thinks because he bashes Trump that he can kick your ass too and treat you like piss. So a reporter asked him a, a very honest question about his basketball team. The team has been poorly assembled. And It's been like slapped together, and they're getting beat. They're just not very good. And so Popovich goes, well, you're disrespecting. You used to beat Nigeria by 70 points. It's an honest question. What's wrong with the team? You're telling me we don't have enough NBA talent? We're playing with NBA. Know this. We're playing with NBA guys. We're not playing with college guys. If we were playing with college guys, Team USA would never even be in the conversation to even try to get a medal. By the way, do I think we're going to get a medal this summer? No way, not with that group. KD's on that team. And so when Popovich was asked the question, what did he do? He turned the mic around, started pissing all over the interviewer. He sounded like Donald Trump. Berating the guy. Belittling the guy. Told him to shut his mouth all the things you used to see at the White House press briefings or standing outside as he got onto Air Force One. See, Popovich is a bully. And let me show you why he has passed his prime as a coach. And I'll compare him to Belichick here in a second. Two of the most successful professional coaches in our time, right? Bill's got six championship rings in New England. I think Pop's got five, right? Okay. Let me show you the difference between these two dudes. So, Popovich is the guy that used to do this. Everybody, when they come to San Antonio, they leave their ego at the door. Manu Ginobili, Tony Parker, Tim Duncan, all those guys know David Robinson. Hey, man, everybody knows when you come here, you're going to play, and everybody knows their role. Everybody knows their role. Yeah, you know what you had in that locker room? The same thing that Belichick had in his locker room. You had a buffer. Tim Duncan was the buffer. Between the BS that Greg Popovich was spewing in the media about being a complete tool bag, it was Duncan going, hey, this is what he means. You ever notice since Duncan retired, the Spurs, they didn't even make the playoffs, right? You think the Spurs are the same franchise? Let me give you one better. So Greg Popovich... Had a guy in his basketball team that won a Finals MVP. Helped lead his team to an NBA championship, the last one in Kawhi Leonard. Kawhi Leonard wanted nothing to do with Greg Popovich's ways. Because there was no Manu Ginobili and Tony Parker and Tim Duncan in that locker room anymore. He didn't want to hear his BS and his crap anymore. It wore off. And it wore out wanted nothing to do with it. Any coincidence that the Spurs are not watchable anymore? Any coincidence? Every time you watch a press conference with Greg Popovich, he sounds like, oh, do get off my lawn guy. He's not evolved. He got lucky. All those European players that they brought in to that organization, plus David Robinson, there was a culture set in the room by the players. This guy couldn't even convince. He's such a great coach. You got rid of Kawhi Leonard in his prime. Wait, not even getting in. Kawhi's not in his prime. He's just now climbing into his prime. And what did he do? Once his little feelings got hurt, that he couldn't keep Kawhi Leonard in the building, he sent him to another country. What did Kawhi do? He slammed it right back in his face and won an NBA Finals MVP and a championship for the Toronto Raptors. And there's Popovich not making the playoffs anymore. Someone goes, Sills, he's got five times. I get it. George Seifert's got two championships. I don't look at him as a great coach. I look at him having great players in the organization that carried the day. The San Antonio Spurs carried the day with their great talent. They won in spite of that guy. Because now, he sounds like he sounds like an old guy now, doesn't he? He sounds like he's an old dude every time he gets in front of the mic. He comes up with an excuse on why his teams aren't winning. San Antonio Team USA He's got an excuse a mile long now. And then he reverts back to Trump bashing. That works when you're winning NBA championships like Steve Kerr. You know, Kerr's standing, and he's standing in the NBA finals, and he's going after Trump. That's one thing. You built equity up. His equity's out, man. This guy is past his prime. And let me tie that into Belichick. Let me show you what Bill's doing differently than what this guy's doing. As you could tell, I hate Popovich because it's stupid stuff with the writings on the wall and all that crap. Hoss, that works for people for just a brief period of time. Danny, 1-5, I get it. I get it. But eventually, guess what? Even the great coaches, that messaging starts to wear out. So look at Belichick, what he's done. Oh, and by the way, what do you think the buffer was in New England all them years? It was Brady. No days off, guys. Brady coming in going. He means let's just keep working our asses off. You know, just keep working hard. It's not about yesterday. It's about tomorrow. Let's keep thinking about tomorrow, guys. Let's keep pushing for tomorrow. Let's keep... It was Brady's messaging in the locker room, talking to everyone in the locker room. And basically, hey, I'll use the Stephen A. Smith line. Just like Tim Duncan, Tom Brady was the interpreter inside the locker room for those coaches. You need an interpreter to interpret what these coaches and their plans are so that the players can understand it coming from a player. That's what Brady was. You notice the difference in New England with Belichick and how he talks? Man, Cam Newton, what a great leader. Cam, it's a privilege to be around him. I really love it, man. He... he, Named him team captain. It wasn't an adversarial relationship like he has and like Popovich had with Kawhi Leonard. You know that last year that Kawhi was in San Antonio? He had some sort of like freaky injury, remember? It wasn't the fact that Kawhi, whether or not he could have played through those injuries, Kawhi didn't want to play for him through those injuries. There's people that you'll play for when you're hurt, and there's people you won't. And Popovich is that guy. Watch that press conference. A guy asks him a normal question, but they're becoming common now. It's becoming a common theme with the way Popovich handles himself in public now. Then he always reverts back to Trump bashing. That's old, too. Guy's been out of the White House since January 20th. Okay? It's old news. Dude, move on. January 6th, move on. Okay, scoreboard. Even I know that. That's the beautiful thing about sports. There's a scoreboard. You see, in politics, the scoreboard's movable. They move the chains on you. That's why sports is the best, and that's why everybody reveres it. That's why you can get Republicans and Democrats in a stadium, and nobody cares what your political affiliation is. You're rooting for one thing. Steelers, Giants, Eagles, Packers, whatever. Nobody cares. You're rooting for one entity, community pride, your team, in that community. This guy misses it. He, he does. He's just completely, he misses it. He doesn't get it. This guy is an old-school coach with old-school ways that have become tiring to watch. All the things he does, he, he has become the Donald Trump of coaches. Great Popovich. You got Belichick trying to reinvent himself in New England. I'll give you another great example of a coach reinventing himself and how important that is. Popovich can't. He's not capable. Because he's stubborn. I, I, I mention this all the time to people. Don Shula did this. Don Shula only believed in running the ball. I'll tell you when those three AFC titles and those two Super Bowls, and one of those teams was undefeated. They ran the ball with Zonka, kick and Threw the ball marginally with Greasy and Warfield. By the way, both Hall of Famers. Almost that entire backfield was Hall of Fame. Okay? This is back way back in the day. So all of a sudden, Dan Marino comes parachuting in. What did he do overnight? Changed the entire dynamic of his football team. Started throwing the ball 40 times a game. Everyone was like, what the hell is this? There, here's a modern-day guy. Look at John Harbaugh. You want to show a coach who knows how to communicate with his players? and also change to his personnel that he has on his team. This guy's got Joe Flacco in the building, who won him a Super Bowl. Ozzie Newsom, the former GM, they draft Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson gets drafted. Changes the entire offense the next year, and now they're that team. In the last three years, you wouldn't recognize the Ravens. Hey, Nick Saban, too. Saban used to run the hell out of the ball, right? Derrick Henry threw the ball a little bit. Now you get every quarterback in the country wanting to play there. Now that kid, Arch Manning, is going to be taking a recruiting trip to Alabama to potentially play there in Tuscaloosa for Nick Saban instead of Ole Miss or Tennessee. It's crazy. Quarterbacks go to Alabama since when? Nobody does that, but they're evolving coaches, not Popovich. He's not capable because he doesn't want, because his arrogant ego doesn't allow him to be more of what's in tune with today. He's not going to kiss a player's ass. where well, you have to today. And I don't mean you have to stroke a player, but you got to kind of kiss their ass. And you know what kissing their ass means? Just be a better communicator. You don't have to pet these guys on the head. You just tell them, hey, man, you know, you're my guy. And you just got to be honest with them. Look at, look, look at that Spurs organization now. It's unrecognizable. And it's carried over to Team USA basketball. Since when? By the way, you're telling me that our American guys can't beat the world anymore? We're no longer that team? and that the world is caught up with us, hey, there's a part of me that goes like this. That's great. Because the one thing David Stern, the former commissioner of the NBA, has done, and has now successfully achieved it, who would have... This guy's got to be just like up in heaven going, oh my God, it's happened. Nigeria beats Team USA. Australia beats Team USA. This is all the things the NBA was hoping to do. So you got to remember something with the NFL. What countries do you play football, American football in Canada and America? You know, the NFL hasn't really stretched out. You know, they tell you that whatever you want to think, they play games over in London. What's that mean? Are you trying to tell me you think NFL football is as popular as Manchester United or the Premier League? Give me a break. <laughs> you really think that? Well, again, that'd be the league giving you propaganda because that ain't true. You know that ain't true. Over a billion people watch the World Cup, and that Premier League is like the greatest league in the world in soccer. These guys make $50 million a year like Neymar and all them guys that play in that league. When you're somebody, you play in the Premier League. You think the Jaguars going over there? You think anybody really cares? oh, great, American football. You're like, give me a break, dude. What are you doing on Wembley Stadium too, by the way? Get the hell out of here. You know they probably look at that and go, why would you put that team where Manchester United play? Why, why would you even think about playing? Come on, man, give me a break, right? So there's Pop still stuck in his stupid-ass ways in how he goes about his business. And it's 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 great to watch him unravel because I hate that guy. All right. Let's take a brief time out. Keep it here on the National Football Show.
3: I get scared sometimes. Of a lot of things. Joining in. Decisions. The dark. The dark. But I once heard someone say. But as I always say. It's okay to be afraid. As long as you face the fear. And keep moving forward.
4: Wherever you are in life, count on the name trusted in insurance for over 80 years. Independence Blue Cross.
0: Ah, The savoring taste of a good bag of beef jerky is so enjoyable at any time of the day, as long as you can find it. Here's what we suggest. Pure Bull Beef Jerky is our answer, and soon it will be yours. Locally produced in the Philadelphia region, this high-quality, healthy protein snack is easy to secure. Go to steersnacks.com, and you'll see hot garlic. Tropical heat, pure bull dry rub, and our favorite Huck and faw. What's that? Huck and faw. Go now to steersnacks.com. Welcome to the wildwoods—the hey. perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Hey. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation. And we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods. Your vacation, your way.
4: The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m.
3: It's the door to a world most people only dream of. There's strong, and then there's Army strong. Try it on at GoArmy.com. Welcome
1: back. National Football Show. Dan Salio. Love Bruce Arians. No risk it, no biscuit. He wins another Super Bowl. Couple Coach of the Year awards. Plus his three titles that he has as a coordinator in Pittsburgh. Got five championship rings. Two as a head coach. Coach of the Year. Potentially back-to-back Super Bowl champions one of a handful of coaches that have gone back-to-back? I don't know. It's a debate. And plus, you know what you love about Bruce Arians? Look at Bruce Arians, how he looks at people. You know, we just got through talking about that idiot Greg Popovich and how he sees people and talks to people. Look at Bruce Arians, for instance. Every coordinator is a minority. He's got women on his coaching staff. The majority of his coaches are minorities. He is an equal opportunity employer. And what's great about Bruce, I've known him a long time. He interviews the character of the person. Not what you say about him. You say about him. None of that. Bruce Arians wants his own assessment of you when you're sitting in front of him. If you waste his time, he'll blow you off in a minute, and he will be Greg Popovich to you. If you look him in the face and you're genuine, it's not so much about being honest. It's about being genuine. Bruce is going to try to carve out a path for you To show you how you can get to your goal. That's all you can ask. You know, I tell people this all the time. One of the most important lessons you can ever learn from a great leader is carving out the blueprint to success and how to get there. Man, I'll tell you. I know this as I'm older. Holy cow. Thank God I have people in my life that support me mentally, physically, emotionally, financially, everything. I've had people my whole life help me. But you know the one intangible they always see in me? I'm honest with them, and what I try to do is try to do the best I possibly can. Free lunch people, man, don't go anywhere in life. If you're looking for free lunches, it ain't happening. Nope. It, everything comes with strings attached. And Bruce is the guy that gives everybody opportunity. This guy hires women, not stupid gigs. Like I think part of the strength and conditioning coaching staff, one of them is a woman on there. Let me tell you how important that is. You know, usually the first hire that a head coach will have with either college or pro level is a strength and conditioning coach. Why is that? Because half the year, his players are in front of that guy. They're not in front of the wide receiver coach. They're in front of the strength and conditioning coach just as much as they're in front, actually probably more. One of the highest paid guys on the coaching staff every year is the strength and conditioning coach. They're some of the most important people you could possibly have on your staff. They're the guys that are around your players. They're the guys that are setting the culture for you. That's why they're important. So he didn't just give some some, some gig to some woman just because, hey, we got a woman on our coach. It wasn't like that. Best person got the gig. That's what makes that staff. And I think, and I got to tell you something, don't you think that resonates with the players too? When you see how Bruce handles himself with his own personal coaching staff, and then how he talks to his players. If I'm not mistaken, I think, if I got the story right, I think when Bruce was a player at Virginia Tech, I think he roomed with Tiki Barber's dad, and it was the first interracial roommates there in Blacksburg. Then he gets the job, and guess where he goes? You know where he learned his craft? He he was on the coaching staff with Bear Bryant at Alabama. And you know what Bear Bryant thought about African-American players on his team. He he wanted them from the 50s, but you're not going to get black players to play at the University of Alabama in the 50s. Hell, you didn't have a black player on that team until Wilbur Jackson came in in the early 70s. Then you had Sylvester Croom and all them guys started rolling in there. And it was because of Bear Bryant changing the room and telling everybody, We've got to change here. And the Southeastern Conference now is one of the greatest employers when it comes to minority opportunities at position coaches and for players to play in that league. Like I just got through talking about the Premier League. Well, the Premier League in America is the Southeastern Conference. It's a preeminent sports league when it comes to college sports. I don't care what what you say? You got one of the top programs of basketball in the country in Kentucky you clearly got the best college football program in the country. And, hell, at times it could be LSU, it could be Florida, but it's mostly Alabama. And he learned his craft there under one of the legendary coaches and Coach Bryant. I so root for that. You know, I really do. I, 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 so, I so root for that. All right. You know, I, I mentioned this in the first hour. Tonight, you're going to be watching the All-Star game, or at least I'm going to be watching the All-Star game. You know what's funny? When I was a kid watching that All-Star game, because we didn't have interleague play, and interleague play is kind of like, you know, destroyed the novelty of seeing the American League and National League playing against one another. Because, you know, for years, if you were an American League or National League team, you never played each other until you got to the World Series. You didn't see... These guys wrote, like, you would never see Shohei Ohtani rolling into Shea Stadium. You would never see Ohtani going into St. Louis. That wasn't ever going to happen. The only way you saw that was All-Star Game or if you saw him in the World Series. So interleague play has kind of like, and I really don't even know if interleague play has helped brand the league. I'm not even sure that it has, right? Because the All-Star Game, doesn't really get the numbers, nor does it get the competitive edge that it used to have when all those players used to show up and truly want to win. But make no mistake about it here. You know, we mentioned LeBron James, and we mentioned Tom Brady being so mobile. They made it fashionable to do this and look at organizations. Aaron Rodgers is now doing it as well. If you're not going to put a team around me, I'm not staying here. I'm not wasting the prime years of my career to sit here and have you just take advantage of me and not do anything when it comes to winning. Let me give you an example with Otani. Otani plays on the same team with Mike Trout. Mike Trout. Some of you probably are out there going, who's Mike Trout? Who's Mike Trout? Right. That's the Angels and baseball's fault. If you're Otani, why in the world would I want to stay in an organization for over a decade? Couldn't do anything with Mike Trout. Mike Trout's numbers right now are dictating he's a Hall of Fame player. And get this, you know what Mike Trout says? I love the fact Otani's getting all the attention, because I really don't like it. Not a very good salesman of your sport, is it? Not a very good salesman. Baseball has a guy who you could actually promote is better than Babe Ruth. He's simultaneously doing things that Babe did early in his career in Boston. Babe never pitched, but a few times in New York when he went to the Yankees and was sold to the Yankees. I heard John Smoltz say if he concentrated just on being a pitcher in baseball, John Smoltz is convinced he'd be the best arm in the game of baseball today. But how could you take that insane power out of his hands and out of your lineup? Well, How about this? If Shohei O'Tani had 33 home runs for the season, I'd still consider him for the MVP. He's got 33 home runs at the break. I've never seen anything like this. Why would you keep that guy in Los Angeles? He's not playing for the Dodgers. This guy's playing for the Angels. Well, I can't even remember the last time they were in the postseason. I mean, I, I, I don't think Mike, I think Mike Trout's got like a 212 average or something. I think he's been in just like one or twice or something like that. What a shame. If you're Otani's people, get the hell out of the Angels' camp, man, because they are not helping you. All right. Want to thank our guests. Want to thank Krause and Cal. Great work you guys do. Big Joe, if you missed any of the show, do me a favor. Please go over to the Jacob Media channel. You can catch any part of the show. Like it, share it, watch it a little bit later on. We so appreciate it. Till tomorrow, 4 to 6 Eastern, we shall see you on the flip side.